Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Waiver Wire Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me, as he always does in this lovely Tuesday afternoon, PFF's finest, Nathan Yonke. Nate, it's not the prettiest waiver wire we've ever seen here as we enter week seven, but still very much a great day to be great, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah, and we had a good Monday night football game last night, which added a couple of players to the list, which made it at least a little bit better. Good is one way of putting it. We had a good first half, I think, and we at yeah. least do have some takeaways from it in regards to trying to get these fantasy football teams, as always, on the right track to winning that championship. So Nathan and I are going to go through each and every position, talking about all the fantasy relevant players on the waiver wire this week. Before that, though, got to go through all the sheeshes from week six. As always, you can find my fantasy fallout column on pff.com. I break down basically all the big plays that you saw if you watched the games, but if you didn't, you might miss them because box scores, as helpful as they can be, don't show you every single thing that happens. So pass catchers could have scored to pick up big yardage with a, with a better pass, nullified touchdowns, guys that got tackled at the one-yard line, all that and much more after watching every single game, every single week for free even at pff.com. So want to quickly go through some of those highlights first, and it starts with Bears quarterback Justin Fields. My God, you know, I happened last Thursday night, so maybe it's not quite as much in our memory, but not one, but two, Nathan, back-to-back game-winning touchdowns. The first one was dropped by Dante Pettis. Second one, Darnell Mooney bobbled, and they finished about an inch short of the goal line. So, hey, it's 12-7, to I think, was that final score. I'm not saying that Justin Fields and company played well enough, you know, to definitively win, but he certainly wasn't, you know, the big-time problem there. And they also did have a drive where Fields got down to one, Missing open Ryan Griffin, Khalil Herbert got stuffed at the goal line. The biggest sheesh of the of the week, Nate, was an incredible moment, an incredibly selfish moment, I should say, from Saquon Barkley, not putting his fantasy managers first, putting his employer, the New York Football Giants, first, going down at the one yard line to secure the win. I jokingly on my uh, you know I tweeted out the article put that this was a selfish play, not selfless, and the amount of Giants fans that are just furious at me now and do not understand uh, the joke. It has been one hell of a morning in the old Twitter mentions. A group of pass catchers that could have scored or picked up big yardage with a more accurate pass. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson back in this column, back-to-back weeks now where he has left some plays on the field. Devin Duvernay, only one catch. Should have honestly had a 16 and a five-yard touchdown with a more accurate pass from Lamar Jackson. Mark Andrews also had a step deep for a potential 40-yard score. Unfortunately, Lamar overthrew him. Also, one note that Packers running back Aaron Jones lined up out wide, ran a dope sluggo. Perfect pass from Aaron Rodgers. We're talking a potential 75-yard touchdown. Instead, ball went out of bounds and complete. Rams wide receiver Brandon Powell almost had a wheel for a walk-in touchdown from 20 yards out. Matthew Stafford sailed it. Unfortunately, got hurt on the very next play. Cardinals tight end Zach Ertz almost had a 31-yard touchdown, but Kyler sailed it. They also barely missed on connecting on a 30-yarder a few plays later. Probably should have been a penalty. A Seahawks quarterback, Geno Smith, very few misses this season. He did have enough separation to feed a touchdown to D. K. Metcalf from 15 yards out, just sailed it white right into coverage instead of away from it, resulting in the incompletion. And finally, if you guys you know were staying up for that Sunday night game, you certainly saw this one. C.D. Lamb got wide open deep. James Bradbury literally fell down on the play. Unfortunately, Cooper Rush was under too much pressure to get an accurate pass off. So I don't know if it would have been a 60-yard touchdown. At a minimum, though, we're talking 30-plus yards, which when you add up those fantasy points at the end of the week, we all know can make a big difference. Six big-time drops that you just hate to see. Could have been big plays and or touchdowns. Curtis Samuel should have had a 40-yard touchdown from Carson Wentz. Unfortunately, bounced off his chest into the ground. Jamar Chase, 
We love it. Awesome game. 130 yards and two touchdowns. Should have had three, man. 29-yard score in the bread basket. Unfortunately, dropped that well before he had the big game. Uh, we had Ray Ray McLeod go out there, have a potential 50-yard catch, bounce right off his chest. Actually, a pretty good game from Jimmy Garoppolo if you went back and actually watched that. Ray Ray had the big miss. George Kittle had a play where... It looked like Jimmy G was telling him to go in the back corner of the end zone. Kittle kind of leveled it out, ended up being an overthrow, and there's another drop down the seam from their other tight end. Would also note Buccaneers wide receiver Russell Gage, back-to-back chances to score from the 11-yard line. First incompletion, going to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Second one was charged as a drop, and rightly so. Giants wide receiver Marcus Johnson dropped a five-yard touchdown, and Bills wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie dropped a three-yard score. Don't be surprised if Khalil Shakur continues to stay involved. Was not a good game for from Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, one really interesting one that you would not have seen without the all 22. Amari Cooper ran a nasty double move to get open from 23 yards out. Jacoby pump fake, and right when he went to go throw it, he got sack stripped, so he didn't even get a chance to target Cooper on the play. That was the direction he was looking to go to. Could have, should have, would have been a 23-yard touchdown. Uh, if you guys saw that awesome Chiefs-Bills game, you saw Marquez Valdez-Scantling nearly have that first touchdown of his Chiefs career on that nice side on from Patrick Mahomes, 15 yards out. Unfortunately, illegal man downfield, and he was actually ruled down at the one-yard line, making matters even more cheeseful. Next play, Travis Kelsey had a 15-yard touchdown in his hands. It just got knocked out at the last second. Drive ended in an interception. Final point here, Cowboys wide receiver Noah Brown, truly one of the season's best catches. Out of bounds, though, could have been a 12-yard touchdown. Initially ruled a 12-yard touchdown further replay showed he did have one foot out of bounds so uh last thing here actually if you want to look at just the unrealized air yards and we have our air yards by low model josh hernsmeyer exclusively at pff.com but one easy way just to see the wide receivers that had a ton of downfield opportunities couldn't quite make it work though for one reason or another you take their receiving yards and you take their air yards the difference of those shows who had the most leftover opportunity number one on the week and unrealized area is Amari Cooper with 126 hey Obel check Patriots we know what they can do number one options obviously was not Cooper's day at least he did salvage it with that touchdown Romeo Dubs 95 unrealized area hearts Alan Lazard 84 not a good day for that Packers passing game also have Michael Gallup and Marquise Brown popping as well so that is the week six sheesh report again you can catch all that and much more on pff.com always get that pub on Monday nights so you know we can have a one last cry together before moving on to the following week so with all that said everyone let's get on to the main event and that is the week seven waiver wire and it is ugly nathan i don't think there's really anyone on the wire this week that's going to be available in most leagues that you need to be looking at as a must get stash you know i don't think there's going to be these three down running backs out there or even really that many that have that in their range of outcomes here anytime soon but first off let's look at the quarterback position a lot of important buys this week with josh allen jalen hurts out of the picture People are going to now in terms of ESPN being available in leagues top three this week. Uh, Nathan, we have Trevor Lawrence at 55% availability facing off against the New York Giants. Justin Fields, 27% owned at the Patriots. Daniel Jones, 26% owned at the Jaguars. I feel like Fields going into Foxborough. If you have all these guys available, we prefer Trevor Lawrence this week. Oh, yeah, Lawrence. He had three touchdowns this past week. They were running the ball a ton, but they were efficient passing when they needed to pass. Uh, Lawrence has been very good. He hasn't been playing that well all season, but in terms of fantasy purposes, he's been playing well this season, uh, getting enough touchdown passes, getting enough yards. So 
he's someone that can fill in for bye weeks this week, fill in for bye weeks over these next couple weeks. And I'm also going to apologize. People are going to be working on my roof. So <laughs> if you hear background noise, I'm sorry about that. Trevor Lawrence, too. Vulture, I would argue, touchdowns uh, last week. They got him, a guy named Tim Jones got him down the one-yard line, and then also Robinson, ETN, got stuffed at the goal line before letting Lawrence get in there. But, man, if you actually watched it last week, uh, man, they like using Trevor Lawrence on those design runs. That was a big part of his game at Clemson. As an Ohio State fan, I still have nightmares of that, like, 60-yard house call he had against us in the college football playoff game. So, truly, Trevor Lawrence, again, with that matchup with Fields having to face off against New England in New England, on Monday night. I do lean Trevor Lawrence as the number one ad of the week. Don't sleep on Daniel Jones, though, either. I mean, in my quarterback column that's live on Tuesday, I just like to take a brief snapshot of the quarterbacks and some of the rushing paces that are at hand at the position. And Daniel Jones, I know it's not been pretty. I mean, guys, the Giants have one completion all season thrown at least 20 yards downfield. Has not been impressive in terms of just style points, but hey, Five and one is five and one. But anyway, this year, seven quarterbacks on pace to rack up triple digit rush attempts. Jalen Hurts, 218, which is just absolutely absurd. Lamar Jackson, 159. Justin Fields, 153. And then tied with Josh Allen for fifth is Daniel Jones at a 133 rush attempt pace over the course of the season. So in Jacksonville, we obviously just saw that Jaguars defense look incapable of even defending a simple crossing pattern against the Colts last week. So I don't hate the thoughts of going to Jones even over fields here how do you kind of juggle that one nate that one's the closer one for me justin fields versus daniel jones um fields i have ahead both this week and going forward but i do think there's potential for jones and um, we have our strength of schedule tool and the giants have the easiest schedule for quarterbacks for the rest of the season we did see him get two new rookies involved daniel bellinger had a bigger role this week and then dale robinson returned this week they were first and second in receiving yards for the giants so um, there is some potential for this passing game to start getting better now that they don't have their top five wide receivers injured. Now it's just their top three or so. And <laughs> at some point we could see Tony and Galladay back. So the pass game could continue to get better. Plus they still have the new coach. So um, they can learn more as the season progresses as well. It's a fair point with the wide receiver room. And, uh, you know, I got to watch my words carefully here so I don't get the, uh, you know, old quote tweet graphic comparing Daniel Jones to Tom Brady. But, hey, we saw the GOAT himself, guys. Earlier this season, his last season with the Patriots, you take away someone's top three, top four wide receivers, anybody's top three, top four wide receivers, you're not going to have a very good quarterback still standing. Uh, With Fields, yeah, this week, I think you could make an argument for Jones. I hear you. Personally, I do have Fields ranked just ahead right now. I think the bigger reason to go get Fields is we can feel better about him for the rest of the season. I know, guys, rough start to this year for Fields. Guess what? It was a rough start last year, and now you look at him back-to-back top 12 finishes over these past two weeks. And this last season, we saw him do a similar thing down the stretch. So, no, I don't think we're getting Fields, you know, Konami code, top five quarterback at any point this year. With that said, low-end QB1, particularly as long as some of these pocket passes continue to struggle, certainly possible. Final two notes, Matt Ryan, only 13% owned going up against the Titans. I don't think they're going to be quite as pass happy when they have Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines back. But hey, credit to Ryan. Two of the last three games, I believe he's gone over 300 yards. You know, we can just ignore that debacle against the Broncos a couple Thursday nights ago. And we also have Andy Dalton with one of the best matchups of the week in Arizona. However, he is dealing with this back injury. Nate, 
can you and you tweeted this it was a great tweet but could you imagine just the circus that would be fantasy twitter if both andy dalton and james winston missed this game and we have to watch tight end eligible Taysom hill under center i don't think it's likely but it is possible uh yeah it's within the realm of possibilities both um the saints didn't actually practice yesterday but they have to do the practice reports anyway both started both top quarterbacks were limited so there's certainly a chance that one or both quarterbacks could be available um, I included Dalton since it sounds like um, he could keep the starting job going forward. The Saints made it pretty clear that they're not going to be naming a starting quarterback. Uh, Dalton's played well, given the fact that he also was without his top three wide receivers this past week. So um, he hopefully will be getting at least one of them back for Thursday night, if not two or three sooner rather than later. And I think whoever is the quarterback for this offense can be a decent player over the course of the rest of the season. Couple just injury updates before we move on to running back. It is expected that Dak Prescott will be under center against the Lions this week. Would have liked to kind of had a week to maybe ease off on Dak and not expect him to immediately be a QB one, but it's the Lions, Nate. And the Cowboys have seemingly been a little bit more patient with this than we initially thought they were going to be. Obviously, I think a big part of that was how well Cooper Rush was able to play, just at least leading them to victories, even if you want to pull up, you know, the more mediocre stats. But regardless, Cooper Rush not going to be available for your fantasy squads anytime soon. Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz is going to miss four to six weeks with a fractured finger. So Taylor Heineke is someone that we have seen provide some of those games where no, no one, I think, I believe nobody is actually still holding out hope that Heineke can be this good real life quarterback. But Nate, we have seen guys like Heineke. Heineke, who run as much as he do, you know, sometimes flirt with being a good fantasy quarterback, despite not being quite that good in real life. So deeper leagues, Taylor Heineke and even Mitchell Trubisky, depending on how the Kenny Pickett situation goes, they are probably available on your waiver wire. And hey, you're not going to feel good about starting him. But if you need a quarterback, you will take a quarterback in Miami with Tua. He is expected to start Sunday night against the Steelers. Also, we we talked about the Saints already. And I don't, you know, I want to keep the vibes positive. I'm not even going to bring up the Panthers QB situation right now. Uh, final note here. I just don't get the – I have no idea what's going on with the concussion protocol these days, Nate, because Tomlin was talking about Kenny Pickett, and he said, quote, unquote, if he can play, he will play. You know, he will not be limited in practice this week, but he's still in the concussion protocol. I feel like this is every update now. It's like the quarterback's fine. He's passed all the tests. We're feeling great about it. And by the way, he's like still in the concussion protocol. So we'll see what happens. I wish we had a better read on this. I still don't know how Teddy Bridgewater was like available in emergency only situations with because of a concussion. So tougher than ever, I think to have a read on these concussion issues. But for now, I, I would expect Trubisky to play Nate. I just think more times yeah. than not, they're probably going to try to give these guys with the concussions, especially, uh, you know, you're, I don't want to say Kenny Pickett's a star of the league, but anytime you have a first round quarterback, just, I, I think the NFL prefer if they, if we see Trubisky out there for at least a week. And in that case, fire him up as a throw up in your mouth, borderline QB too. Oh uh, yeah. No one wants to be the first team to bring someone back too early from a concussion now and be the team that, looks bad for doing so. So I could very well see some of these quarterbacks be out. And I think with Bridgewater, it was just, he wasn't the one practicing with the starters all week. So keep the guy in who was starting, even though I had multiple leagues where I had Skyler as my starting quarterback. And then Teddy ended up scoring more points on my bench. Me too, Nate. And then the week before we started Teddy and then he gets hurt on the 
first freaking play. So God loves some of those dynasty squads in super yeah. flex leagues, just exactly. scraping. That's what I'm saying. You know, some of these leagues guys, you just need a quarterback out there. And we have a couple options like that this week. Uh, appreciate the YouTube chat here live with us as we always are Tuesdays about 1230 PM Eastern uh, Drake holiday, bringing up that we could, we should scoop up the Sean Watson and stash him. Now, if you can, unless you have a top eight guy already, it just depends on your roster. If you have a deeper bench, absolutely. I think that's a good idea, but with, bye weeks coming on i wouldn't give up a running back wide receiver tight end that can really help you and i do think drake's caveat there at the end if you have a top six to eight guy already i really don't think you need to mess around with watson with that said nate if you're someone that drafted Aaron Rodgers and matthew stafford and you just haven't gotten any semblance of upside at qb maybe those type of rosters should be taking a longer gander at the sean watson this time of the year oh yeah i think it just completely depends on how big your bench size is if there's room for him or not like I feel like Kenny Pickett's kind of similar. He's someone I probably don't want starting now, but by the end of the season, he might be someone that has the upside to be a starter. So I kind of view that similarly where it's a high upside guy that maybe will help you win games in December. All right, guys, moving on to running backs. So here's the caveat, and you all love to come screaming on Twitter the second we bring up anyone that you should go sign the waiver wire. Oh, my gosh, what are you in an 18 league with your grandma and grandpa? That was an actual comment thrown at me last week. Pretty funny, I'll be honest. But, okay, if Daryl Henderson isn't available in your leagues, move on, and we're sorry for wasting 10 seconds of your precious time. But according to these ESPN statistics, he is only owned in 66% of leagues. We did see, Nate, that he is the clear-cut RB1 with Cam Akers, seemingly on the way out in Los Angeles. How confident are you in Henderson holding up that 70%-plus snap rate? Because on the one hand, we saw half the season last year, if not more of it, until Henderson actually got hurt about Week 11, Week 12. He was the featured running back in Los Angeles with snap rates even higher than what we saw last week on the other hand you know it's not like McVay and this offense have been good at all and Henderson has been a part of that throughout the year we do have Malcolm Brown taking away some touches and Kyron Williams could be back from IR sooner rather than later so overall thoughts on Daryl Henderson rest of the season and hey you do release your rest of the season rankings every single Tuesday morning at pff.com so if people have any other questions like that make sure you go check out Nate's article I'm definitely confident over these next couple weeks that he'll be the starter and having that much playing time. I am concerned about Kyron Williams once he's healthy again. It looked like he was going to have a role in week one before he got injured. So I could very well see it being more of a split when that happens. Or I could also see the Rams potentially trying to add a running back at some point this season. The Cam Akers, if he gets traded, it could potentially be for a running back in exchange. So we might not see Henderson keep this role all season. Plus, he's had plenty of injuries throughout his career. But at least for the short term, I think he's going to be the 70% snap rate and someone that should be in starting lineups in most matchups. Last time I'll say it. If you can go pick up Henderson, for the love of God, do it. 34% of you out there allegedly haven't. So if you are listening to this podcast, please, for the love of God, go get Daryl Henderson. Uh, Brian Robinson, Nate, owned in 50% of ESPN leagues right now. He got the touchdown last week. He got, I believe, it was 17 carries out there. Like He definitely was the clear-cut number one in Washington. With that said, 47% snaps. McKissick still plenty involved on passing downs. Antonio Gibson not completely going away either. This week, they do have 
have a decent enough matchup against the Packers, 22nd in PPR points for game to running backs, 27th in yards before contact allowed per carry. I'm just concerned what the overall upside here is, Nate. I was just making my running back ranks before the show, and I didn't feel the need to jam Brian Robinson into the top 24 because, God forbid, any of these weeks happen where the Washington Commanders, a football team that I don't think any of us think is particularly good at football this season, all of a sudden, we could see that snap rate of 47% for Robinson and 28% for McKissick flip-flop during any given game. So overall thoughts on Robinson as someone that, you know, hey, if we can get 15 carries per week, like that's going to be valuable in a lot of leagues. I understand that. But do you really think Robinson has this like upside RB2 even in his range of outcomes without multiple injuries occurring, Nate? Um, I think he does just because I trust him to consistently be the goal line running back he took both snaps at the goal line, both yarded situations last week. So I view him similarly to how I viewed Antonio Gibson these past two seasons, just a little bit lower because Gibson's still taking some of those early down snaps. But uh, J.D. McKissick was taking some early down snaps before. Now McKissick's not playing as much on early downs. And Gibson did start cutting into the third down work, so we could see it being more Gibson and McKissick competing for passing down roles with Robinson keeping those rundown snaps. Great story. I always got to add that caveat as I just shit all over Brian Robinson's future uh, fantasy upside. It's a fantastic story. Just like Alex Smith was in Washington a few years ago, I am just remaining doubtful on if we are actually going to get serious upside. Unless Gibson gets hurt. Gibson gets hurt, it's going to be tough to keep Robinson out of the top, you know, 18. If McKissick and Gibson get hurt, all of a sudden we're looking at, you know, your Kenneth Walker, your Mondre Stevensons of the world where, hey, there's nobody else to take away their snaps. Might as well fire him up as an RB1. For now, Brian Robinson good not great addition for the fabsters out there nate like henderson to me is someone where if you want to go to your 40 50 just to lock down like a legit rb2 that's fine brian robinson though for me more than about 25 percent fab seems a little pricey how are you feeling with the fab on robinson i'd be fine with 15 to 20 percent at this point if he's still available since in plenty of leagues he was already picked up so these are the leagues that everyone already missed out on him once but i view him as a guy who can be a borderline starter, especially as we have bye week setting that if you're starting running back has a bye week, he's someone who can be confidently get filled in and at least not lose you your game. That is true. You know, we talk uh, a lot of times, just more so in groups, borderline RB2, low end RB2. And then you, you know, we have that in our minds for the first five weeks of the year and then buys come into play. And it's like, oh, this guy that I thought was outside of top 24 is now, you know, my RB17 or whatever on the week. So always something to keep in mind there. Uh, the ever evolving Denver Broncos backfield. If you guys caught that Monday night classic, we now have a new RB1 in the name of Latavius Murray. 49% snaps, 15 carries, one target. Mike Boone is out there for 35% snaps, just one carry and two targets. Melvin Gordon, only 15% of the snaps, three carries. So, Nate, I feel like, you know, not that we spend all podcasts here patting ourselves on the back, but this was kind of our thoughts on this backfield. How was anyone going to fully take this over when Javante freaking Williams himself wasn't given the opportunity to have a full three-down roll so far through two weeks? That has been the case. I mean, even last week when Melvin Gordon was the quote-unquote guy, it was hardly in a workhorse manner. So, 
with Latavius Murray. He does project as the leader right now. Man, I have Latavius, though, ranked as my RB32 going into next week. Boone, so, uh, some spots lower. I, I think I accidentally forgot to rank Melvin Gordon. Not the worst idea in the world. Lord knows I'm not going to be starting the guy if I can at all help it next week. How confident are you, Nate, in that week six usage from Latavius Murray continuing down the road? And if it does, like, what's that even give us as a fantasy asset inside of a still dreadful Broncos offense? Oh, yeah, I'm slightly confident. I really want to see it one more week to make sure. We did see in that last game that Williams was playing, Melvin Gordon basically wasn't playing in the first half. So for me, it wasn't all that surprising that they were ready to not have have Gordon not have a large role in the offense since that's what they tried to do two, three weeks ago. So I could very well see Murray being the lead rusher going forward. Um, I would say drop Gordon a week from now if he continues to have this role. But I think it'll basically be a classic two-back committee. One guy's the rundown back, the other guy's the pass down back. And it will largely depend on how good the offense is doing in general for how good Murray will do in fantasy leagues. So we're holding Gordon for one more week if he can. We are definitely not starting the guy this week. Please, for the love of God, do not even think about it. Not even as a joke, uh, Mike Boone, someone that just isn't getting the usage to feel good enough about starting either. And honestly, Nate, again, I just wonder what the overall best case scenario here is. Like, yeah, if if Nathaniel Hackett decides to turn over the entire backfield to Latavius, okay, it'll be fine. You can say that about any backfield in the entire NFL, though. I just think Hackett's history this year, his history of being with the Green Bay Packers, who don't really turn the backfield over to a single uh, running back either. I am likely to let someone else outbid me on the waiver wire for Latavius Murray. We said 15 to 20% for Brian Robinson. I think that's also an appropriate amount for Latavius Murray. What say you? Uh, yeah, uh, Murray's available in a lot more leagues, so a lot more people will be bidding for him, and it really just depends on how desperate you are for a running back at this mm-hmm. point, since in some leagues, all of the starters are gone, most of the backups are gone, so Murray might be the best option that you'll see on the waiver wire for a few weeks in some larger leagues. So I'd be fine bidding a little bit more in those kind of leagues. But if you're in a 10-team league or a league with lighter benches, don't be bidding too much for Murray. Can you guess what the Broncos rank in uh, overall scoring, Nate? Uh, Not very high. Dead last, actually. Uh, yeah, what that guy finish? Dead last? Okay, yeah. That's the problem with Denver right now. We have to, again, continue to readjust some of the assumptions we made before the seasons. And one of those big misses was the idea that Denver was going to be a, t- a great offense, and they have actually been literally the opposite of that. Another guy that is not owned at all. Again, Latavius Murray, only 8% of ESPN leagues at this point. Kenyon Drake, one of your top five to add of the week, Nate. And I was actually impressed with what he was able to do out there. I mean, only only 10 carries, but cleared the 100-yard mark and just actually showed some burst for the first time all season. Remember, Dobbins missed the first two games of the year, and Drake really had a chance to take over as the guy. And he just didn't, man. They just really went away from him, him, Mike Davis. Nobody was effective. Now maybe you could argue some of that on the banged-up offensive line and the Ravens just not really doing a good ball setting him up for success. We've seen J.K. Dobbins come in and average 3.5 yards per carry. So might have been a little harsh on Drake to start the season. But after last week, looking pretty good. And this is now back-to-back weeks where he has not only been involved in this offense, he's out-snapped J.K. Dobbins as the RB1. Last week, he even out-touched him with 12 combined carries and targets, just 7 for J.K. Dobbins. So look, I still give Dobbins a slight benefit of the doubt. That I believe they said after last week that while Dobbins didn't hurt his knee, it was sore, which... 
is not good. Like I would rather none of that be, uh, you know, actually part of the conversation with JK Dobbins to me, both these guys, as it stands are mid tier RB threes that I'm not feeling good putting in the lineup with that said, Nate, we are in plenty of leagues where we will take 10 plus touches. If we can get them, it does seem like that is now in Kenyon Drake's weekly range of outcomes. Oh uh, yeah, I would just be picking him up for this short term. Dobbins, they said his knee tightened up. He missed the last 40 minutes of the game. So it was basically all Drake for those last 40 minutes. Um, we saw Justice Hill playing above Kenyon Drake for the start of the season. And Hill could be back sometime soon. Gus Edwards is getting closer and closer to coming back. It could be as early as this week. So we have four different guys plus Mike Davis getting some goal line work. But other than that, though, other than that, though, it's going great. <laughs> But we could see Drake this week if Dobbins misses this week, if Hill's not ready, if Edwards isn't ready. Drake could be the one guy again this upcoming week. So I'm okay with him if you need a running back this upcoming week, if these other guys remain hurt or if only one of them is healthy. But long-term, like this could be a very ugly four-man committee at some point this season. And we kind of saw that scenario play out last week with Eno Benjamin. He wasn't someone that we wanted to use a bunch of fab on because we saw the potential for him to just be right back in a committee or being this backup. But all of a sudden, like the guys that are in the mix, if all of them are hurt, which there is a chance that, to your point, Justice Hill, J.K. Dobbins, they are out potentially, and Gus Edwards still not officially activated off the pup, then it could be the Kenyon Drake show. Certainly you being used well ahead of Mike Davis in a juicy matchup this week against the Browns. 29th in PPR points per game allowed to running back. 26 in yards before contact allowed per carry. So Kenyon Drake, I agree with the comments, you know, consensus opinion uh, going on right now. Definitely not someone we're going to be using a bunch of fab on, but hey, if you're getting killed on bye weeks and you need a running back to compete, there is a chance that Kenyon Drake, again, if Dobbins and Hill are rolled out and Edwards stays out of the picture, like if all those things come to fruition, Nate, I don't think Drake's going to be an RB1, but all of a sudden he's probably going to find his way into our top 24. Exactly. So, um, Probably five or ten fab on him if you need a running back, but it very much depends on the league that you're in. With you there. All right, with the Atlanta Falcons, Damian Williams continues to be the guy that we replace our chip on, if anyone. But, man, they just keep using multiple running backs. Mariota's doing dual-threat things, which historically doesn't help. The running backs, Cordero Patterson, isn't going to be out forever. Again, same kind of story every single week. If you can stay away from this ever-muddled group, Tyler Algier should be leading the way more weeks than not. But even with that said, man, Caleb Huntley actually out-touched him last week. And guess you got the touchdown, you know, short man Avery Williams out there as well. So just not a good situation. And Atlanta, with all due respect to their top 10 ranked offense, Deion Jackson, you know, week six waiver wire hero with the Colts. Why? Because both Taylor and Hines are out. So when we have these backfields where not, not only one guy, but multiple top running backs are injured. You can actually see them boom, but it really does seem like both Taylor and Hines should be back this week. And unfortunately, Deion Jackson himself now dealing with a quad injury. We talk a little about Kyron Williams, but what, Nate, what do you really think Kyron's chances are of fully taking over this backfield? I know people are excited about him, but he still was a fifth-round pick. He's coming off an injury. I'm not saying he's injury-prone, but, like, the dude broke his foot in the summer. Like, I, I, it would make sense, nothing against Kyron, but it makes sense if he's a little bit slow coming back from that. And, you know, the big knock on him coming out, out of Notre Dame was if he could even be a three-down running back in the first place. So, hey, 
Henderson, not exactly, you know, the least injury prone player in the league, I guess you could say. And if we see him go, maybe then it could be a 50 50 split of sorts with Malcolm Brown and Kyron Williams. I'm fine in deeper leagues because, hey, you don't have too many running backs out there on the waiver wire period in some of these deeper leagues that even have a small chance of getting a bigger role. But if I just had to do like percentage odds of Kyron Williams overtaking this backfield with everyone healthy, I'd only put it like a five or 10 percent. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's too high. It helps if you have a spot on injured reserve that you can stash him on for a couple weeks. That certainly helps. Uh, He is the player most widely available out of these running backs that we talked about. And the big upside with him is the Rams are a team that haven't been afraid to give all of the carries to one player in the past. So um, Williams could be the guy where he's getting uh, 10, 15 carries a game. And then Daryl Henderson is, again, reduced to a passing down role. And if that's the case, then that's probably good enough in plenty of fantasy leagues. So while it's not a huge chance that it happens, the fact that it's a backfield where someone can be the clear lead guy on like the Baltimore backfield where it takes everyone being injured for anyone to have a chance at that, um, that's where the upside lies. Also got to keep an eye on this Carolina Panthers situation. They're talking about you know, listening to trade offers of Christian McCaffrey always followed by the, but it's not going to be easy. You know, they're going to need to give up a lot uh, to get this running back. Just it's a, such a broke offense, man. I'm almost team Robbie Anderson at this point. Uh, Nate, like, come on. Did, did you watch that game? Philip Walker, shout out to a uh, PFF's uh, old, old co-host with us, Andrew Erickson, now doing great things over at fantasy pros, but Andrew found the stat. Philip Walker had minus one air yards passing a starting NFL quarterback who didn't get hurt until the second half had minus one air yards this offense has been such a joke all season long and Robbie Anderson gets upset and now he's like public enemy number one of America man I do not if you want to be mad at anyone be mad at Steve Volks and that joke of a performance that he put on last week you know coming in as the interim coach so yeah Christian McCaffrey in uh Carolina for now we know what we're doing there what happens if Christian McCaffrey does get traded or if he does get hurt Nate I thought that Chuba Hubbard might be the league guy again we've kind of had this usage in the preseason with the first team early on in the year going a little bit back and forth it does seem like more so recently though Deontay Foreman should probably be the handcuff over Chuba oh uh, yeah I think it'll be a case where they will both see significant playing time they both can play in any situation uh, they both uh, tend to be more early down backs but they don't have a clear passing down back outside of those two so um, I think Foreman would be the one seeing the majority of carries and the majority of targets and for as bad as Carolina's offense is um, they are giving everything to their running backs, which, yeah, a lot of that's because they have CMC at running back, but they could continue to rely heavily on the running backs because that's what they've been doing. So, again, someone that's available in 97% of leagues, someone that you can stash on your bench if you have larger bench spots, but he is unlikely to be a consistent fantasy starter and probably relying heavily on whoever Carolina is facing that week. Every week in my running back article, I have a handcuff index for every single NFL team out there. Uh, and there's basically four tiers of it. I have the Panthers in tier three, basically defining that as there'd be a usage bump. Won't prevent the team from continuing to use a committee of sorts, though. And there's not a guarantee these handcuffs will even crack the position's top 24 should the starter go down. That's the thing. If you take McCaffrey out of this offense with McCaffrey, they're implied to score a week low 15 points. So, you know, 15 
18 combined carries and touches. Unfortunately, not going to go very far in Carolina unless you're, you know, just the best running back alive like Damian Pierce in Houston and you're able to just completely, you know, just turn around your team's entire direction on offense. I like Deontay Foreman. Nice story coming back from the Achilles. Don't think he quite has that in his range of outcomes. Guys, before we get on to wide receivers, I want to give a quick few shout outs to some of our lovely sponsors out there first up is going to be our friends over at no house advantage no house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today playing pick them contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250k plus in cash download the app choose a contest select your player props earn points for correct picks and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day you can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks better not the five player prop overrunners or individual player matches across every major sports league including nfl nba mlb pga mma and nascar sign up with the promo code fancy pff at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app source to get a first deposit match up to 25 dollars. make sure to check out no house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play but also where you play you won't want to miss out on this also love our friends over at western and southern PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, I am soon. Plan to start a family. Trying to. It's tough to find someone to do that with when your last name is Harditz, though. Wondering how to make your money grow? I would love to. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started today at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. FF. Finally, folks, got to do our sleeper segment of the episode. Always love our friends over there at Sleeper. In my humble opinion, the best place to go host your redraft or dynasty fantasy leagues. And Nate, we got to go with our waiver wire pickup of the week. I'm going to put words in your mouth. It's Rondale Moore, 44% owned in ESPN leagues. He is going to be the PFF fantasy football podcast ad of the week. And never, never, never won injuries to any player in the NFL. With that said, Nate, the big problem of source for Rondale Moore projecting him forward with DeAndre Hopkins coming back in week seven was what's going to happen in this three wide receiver set. There was a chance that like last season, Rondale Moore could be the odd man out if they chose to be stubborn, keep AJ Green on one side, move Marquise Brown to the slot and keep DeAndre Hopkins on the other side. Unfortunately, with Marquise Brown expected to miss a good six plus weeks, you know, with this uh, foot injury he's got not the season. Luckily, we did get that news. So not season ending per se, but definitely going to miss a big chunk of time. It does seem like Rondell Moore is now safe in that slot and really cemented, man, as a top three option in this passing game. We got past the great George test. We got past the hamstring pull, Nate. Rondell Moore, man, I get it. I've seen this Cardinals offense. With that said, I think he could be a volume-based PPR wide receiver three. That's pretty much how we were treating Greg Dorch by the end of you know that nice little stretch he had weeks three and four. I think Rondale Moore can obviously be have a little more upside than that. But overall thoughts on Rondale's rest of the season role here with Marquise Brown, unfortunately, out of the picture. I'm excited for him. We saw um, him play above A.J. Green in two wide receiver sets. Uh, he was on the field for 16 of 17 of them this past week, so already playing above A.J. Green, which was great to see. Um, obviously, with Hopkins coming back, he probably won't see as much time on the outside, but there's at least a chance that Moore could continue to play above Green, um, play above Robbie Anderson on the outside and two wide receiver sets, or at least rotate in and out. So he will still see significant playing time, significantly more than he would have last year, even if he just had that slot role. Um, he has 
uh, 13 receptions over these past two weeks, which is uh, top 10 among wide receivers. And the Cardinals have a difficult wide receiver or difficult schedule going forward, which will mean lots of passing. And even if they're facing good defensive backs, he still has a fairly low average depth of target. So it's not too difficult to get short passes in and see what he does after the catch, regardless of the quality of defense he's facing. So he's not going to be one of these top wide receivers who a defense will put a top cornerback across from him, shut him out for a couple games here and there. He's still going to get his design target. So I think he's a fairly safe player that, yeah, he's probably not going to be a top 10, top 15 wide receiver going forward, but he's definitely someone that could be in starting lineups week in and week out going forward. I think very similar case as what we've seen with Curtis Samuel in Washington. The low eight out role can help you overcome some of that, you know, more volatile conditions from being in a bad offense. I am optimistic with Cliff Kingsbury and company turning things around to some extent. Cause here's, they haven't just been terrible, Nate, that if they were just terrible all game, all year long, it'd be easy to kind of write them off. This is the 31st ranked offense in EPA per play in the first half. They're first. They're first in the second half. I don't know, man. Just pretend it's the second half out there. Just to, the whole game week, you know, just pretend like you're already down 16 points or whatever. I, I don't know. But the fact, again, that they've been the league's best offense in the final 30 minutes of the game, it gives me some hope that they can, I don't know, be okay moving forward. But, man, just a terrible performance last week against the Seahawks. Please, got the Saints, 29th-ranked scoring defense Thursday night here. Come on, Rondale. Come on, Hopkins. Nate, I'm going to put you on the spot. Our guy, Dave, always tuning in with us, wondering if we're going to take Rondale over Wandale Robinson, George Pickens, and Alec Pierce. I would definitely do Rondale over Wandale. That's proving very difficult to say one after another. And Pierce, I do think Pickens is like best case scenario is higher than Rondale. With that said, I would be starting Rondale over Pickens like definitely this week and probably for the foreseeable future. So I think I would take Rondale over those guys. We'll see you. Uh, yeah, I think I agree that Rondale is a safer play. I think Pickens does have the higher upside, but we could see weeks where, like we saw Chase Claypool do really well this week. It could be a different wide receiver in Pittsburgh having a good game each week, and you won't know heading into the week which one of the three it'll be. Got to keep bringing him up because he continues to not be owned in enough leagues for us not to bring him up. Romeo Dobbs still just 61% in ESPN leagues. It's Dobbs. Alan Lazard, and now Randall Cobb's even out of the picture, unfortunately, with that ankle injury. So could see even more targets centered around these guys. We just need Aaron Rodgers in his passing game to do anything, man. Again, I was talking about just how annoyed I was about the Panthers passing attack. And, you know, a lot of times I just, I, I look, I'm trying to look up stats with something in my mind. I maybe think to look it up in the first place, not, you know, exactly breaking ground uh, there. But I thought the Panthers might be the only team in the league to actually not have a single game with 250 passing yards to this point because i noticed that and was like that is wild i cannot believe they suck that bad it's not true there's actually seven of them and somehow nate the green bay packers are one of the seven teams without 250 team passing yards now rogers himself has cleared that a few times but in the nfl the sacks bring you back, back down so just a broken offense and you know i do think they will get better to an extent and even if they don't if we just have this target volume centered mostly around dobbs and lazar moving forward 
maybe a little bit of Robert Tunyon too. More on him in just a bit. I should see some slightly better days in Green Bay because it can't get too much worse at this point. Uh, you also bring up Jahan Dotson, owner 53% of leagues, should be back from that injury sooner rather than later. It wasn't an issue that they felt the need to put him on IR in the first place. So obviously talented rookie there. Zay Jones, 27%. Alec Pierce, 24%. Wandale Robinson, 6% owned. Corey Davis, 28%. Also got Paris Campbell at a lowly 1%. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, 5%, basically finalizing all of Nate's potential wide receiver waiver wire additions. Pretty clear with those names, Nate. None of these guys we're even thinking about using more than, I'd say, 20%, 15%, 20% of fab. For Rondale and Dobbs, if they happen to be available, I would be willing to go up into the 30s, maybe even 40% to get those guys because those are legit wide receiver threes this week with the upside to be even higher. God forbid their passing games get their shit together even a little bit. Out of these other guys, though, again, Jahan Dotson, Zay Jones, Alec Pierce, Wandale Robinson, Corey Davis, DPJ, and Paris Campbell who do you kind of prioritize the most out of this group Nate should they all be available um I think Wandale is someone that you haven't seen the best of him yet he didn't see that much playing time they were easing him back into action and even easing him back in was enough for him to be top two on the team in receiving yards uh, with how many injuries they've had in that offense he definitely has the potential to lead the team in targets going forward especially if Tony and Galladay aren't coming back anytime soon, which we really haven't seen much of an update on them. They just haven't been practicing. So Robinson could lead the team in targets. The team has been winning, and he basically has the role in what was the Bills' offense with what Cole Beasley had. Robinson fits that fairly perfectly. So, yeah, I don't expect the Giants' offense to become the Bills' offense anytime soon, but that's the coaching staff that they have and the role that they want Robinson to have in the offense. So um, I think he has the most potential out of the guys that um, plenty of them, if they, they haven't done too much this past week to show that they deserve to be on your team more than they did the week before where Robinson's someone who is back now and stepped up. Rondale Moore, Romeo Dobbs, big-time teardrop, and then we're looking at Wandale Robinson as the next top priority. I still think Zay Jones is someone we've seen put together some good games. Unfortunately, this Jaguars offense has been a little bit more up and down than we would prefer. Him and Alec Pierce, guys that, again, we've seen them have some nice booms. Do we really think Matt Ryan's going to be dropping back 50-plus times in games where Jonathan Taylor's active? I personally do not. So Pierce, Zay Jones, and Wandale Robinson, guys that I don't think have the highest ceilings in the world. I agree with you, Nate. Wandale does have a better one than those other guys because he's not sharing an offense with a Michael Pittman or a Christian Kirk or something other guys capable of taking away some of those targets so that would be the next tier and then after that i think we have our dotsons Corey davis Dolphin, people jones and paris campbell how about Corey davis nay i know you were super high on him last year and unfortunately got uh you know his that, that season cut short by injury and was doing some actually good things before that but here we are it's week seven and Corey davis is the number one jets wide receiver in receiving yards and he's looking good out there man he i, I tweeted out the video yesterday he had the sick double move where he caught like a 50-yard pass from Zach Wilson, where if this would have been Elijah Moore or Garrett Wilson doing it, you know, the clip would have been viral just before I even sent it out. But can this actually keep up with Corey Davis, someone that, yeah, he's annoyed us over the years in fantasy, but it's still a former number five overall pick that, whether we like it or not, Nate, seems to be Zach Wilson's preferred target. Uh, yeah, and the Jets are preferring him as well. He was the only player to run a pass route on over 70% of the Jets' pass plays this last week. 
um, before it was Garrett Wilson fighting for time with Corey Davis, but now Wilson's taking some of the time of Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, taking some of Moore's time while Wilson has mostly just played in the slot. So Corey Davis was someone that seemed like they were going to slowly phase him out of the offense for these other three wide receivers. But now Davis is the one that's not losing playing time to anyone. So uh, just the fact that he's the top guy on a winning team, um, probably at least worth some consideration, which we could see the situation change at any point if any of these younger wide receivers start to see more playing time again rather than less. But if they keep winning, they keep staying in two tight end sets, and Davis is one of the two wide receivers on the field. Absolute wild times we live in, but, you know, we got to adjust the ranks accordingly. Over at tight end, Hayden Hurst continues to be the top suggested ad of the week. He has come back just fine from that groin issue and back-to-back weeks playing, you know, a near full-time role in that Bengals offense. You know, he didn't get the touchdown last week because he's not going to be featured ahead of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, or Tyler Boyd more weeks than not. Still someone that can get into the end zone pretty often, though, just by virtue of being basically, again, a full-time member of a Joe Burrow-led passing game and god forbid something does happen to any of those wide receivers he will get a nice bump up in the ranks so still only owned in 51 percent of leagues he's got the falcons this week bottom three defense and pretty much any tight end metric you want to look at that's why we were so on george kittle last week Hayden Hurst, the top priority ad at tight end. Again, someone that I don't see him, you know, all of a sudden vaulting into top five, top six territory. So I don't think you need to really go out there, spend more than 15, 10, 15% fab on him. Don't get too carried away. With that said, likely the best available option. A couple other guys, though, uh, Nate popping up here a little bit. Greg Dolchich, you know, just uh, a sad day for some Albert O. Truthers out there. But Dolchich comes out just an incredible first touchdown, Nate. His ability to get that separation. No, I'm just kidding. Like they didn't guard him and he just kind of waltzed into the end zone completely uncovered from 40 yards out, but almost had a second touchdown before the half. I don't want to call it a drop, but Russ did kind of get it there off his fingertips. And just the most surprising thing was his ability to come in there and really have a near full-time role. So Nate comparing um, again, Greg Dolchich versus someone like Robert Tunyon, who had you know more box score juice, but maybe not quite as big of and good as underlying metrics. How do you kind of compare again uh, Tunyon versus Dolchich here for guys that are looking beyond Hayden Hurst? Um, they are very similar in their roles, coming from similar coaching staffs, but they both are on teams that like to have a lot of tight ends and rotation, and they both have the passing down role. And they both played in games last week where they were doing a ton of passing throughout the game. So it was the receiving tight end who saw a lot more playing time than usual. So I do think his playing time will decrease if the Broncos offense starts playing a little bit better. They prefer to do more two tight end set stuff. And when they did it in the first half with Melvin Gordon, it just led to three and outs and short drives. So that's why we saw so much playing time. I am a little bit concerned because uh, he wasn't playing in two tight end sets, which is something that Tanyan does sometimes, but rarely does. So I trust Tanyan more because he is in a better offense, which we have higher likelihood of getting better as the season goes on because they haven't been playing as well. And he has a bigger role in the offense where um, I think Greg's a good story and had a good first game, but I don't think he will be as consistent because it's hard to be someone who only plays in one tight end sense. 
Hunter Henry, someone still available in 37% of, or excuse me, 63% of ESPN leagues. He's currently owned in 37%. Guys, first touchdown in a while last week. I will say this was a game where John Smith, it was his first game back from injury. John actually looked healthy, man. He had a pretty nice 50-yard catch and run, broke a couple tackles. Looked like the Tennessee Titans, John, knew that the Patriots, I'm sure, thought they were getting when they gave him $50 million all the way back, you know, two freaking years ago. But with Henry, Nate, how confident are you in that every down? role continuing i know he's had these last two weeks but we also had a good four or five weeks to start the season that showed us that it's going to be split up more times than not when both these guys are healthy oh yeah i'm not super confident in him it was good to see that his target share was a lot higher since there were two things working against him this season both his uh routes that he was running and how often he was targeted per route so even if his routes do go down a little bit seeing him get targeted a lot more was a beneficial sign so if the patriots offense continues to play well and if they continue to use two tight end sets a bit as well since they've had some injuries at wide receiver over time so um i'm probably henry's not going to be a top five tight end anytime soon but he could be a matchup dependent tight end that you put in your starting lineup if he has a good matchup that week Final two tight end notes we want to make. Again, if you're in one of these deeper leagues, maybe a tight end premium where a lot of people have been, you know, scooping up multiple tight ends throughout the year. The pickings are slim out there. Hey, when we can get a full-time player, that's sometimes all you can ask for. Beggars can't be choosers at the tight end position sometimes. And we kind of have two emerging here, Nate. Daniel Bellinger, who did score a late-game touchdown for the Giants in their win over the Ravens, 94% snap rate. And we also have another injury-induced situation in Tampa with Kate Otten potentially now taking over with Cameron Braid, unfortunately, suffering his severe uh, head injury as well. So Kate Otten, someone that two weeks ago when Braid was out, played 94% snaps himself, even in a game game with Kyle Rudolph also active so personally Nate like for me I'm just going to take the Tom Brady offense over uh Daniel Jones offense with that said you know Daniel Bellinger might be the guy with more of a long-term role depending on when Bray is going to be healthy enough to return if he's going to be healthy enough to return so overall thoughts on Bellinger and Kate Otten for really tight and needy rosters um I prefer Bellinger just because uh he's the top one or two options in the Giants receiving offense where in Tampa Bay, they have multiple future Hall of Fame wide receivers for him to compete with. So um, Bellinger, one of uh, six tight ends this season with 1.35 yards per route run or more on the season and multiple touchdowns. So he is seeing um, good efficiency, even though it's a bad offense and he has been a red zone target. And he just surpassed Tanner Hudson taking the third down snap. So that was a big reason why his snaps increased this week, and I think that's sustainable. I think they wanted to get Bellinger to this point, and now he's finally there. So I think he will be a featured part of the offense going forward. Um, it'll depend on how good the offense is doing, if he can be a fantasy starter going forward. But I think he has a higher floor than a lot of other tight ends in the league right now. Just to recap everything we've just talked about, everyone at quarterback top streamer of the week is going to be Trevor Lawrence ahead of this matchup against the Giants. If you can't get him, Justin Fields probably does present a little bit better rest of the season outlook overall, but he is in New England this week. So not the best matchup. Daniel Jones, someone you can also rely on lesser extents, Matt Ryan, and Andy Dalton. If you're really freaking desperate, don't be afraid to take advantage of some of these injuries. Go after guys like Taylor Heineke, Mitch Trubisky, who have enough rushing upside to sometimes 
sometimes be better in fantasy than what we know they are in real life. At running back, if he's available, get Daryl Henderson. Okay, I'm done talking about Daryl Henderson for this. If he's not, then move on. Brian Robinson, someone as well that should be prioritized to an extent. Henderson's available. We're willing to go up to 40% fab. Brian Robinson, more so someone we want to stop around 20%. Latavius Murray, even lesser extent there, more of a 15% fab. I am happy to let someone else go get Latavius Murray and also Kenyon Drake. The caveat with Kenyon Drake is if we see all these Ravens running backs miss time, J.K. Dobbins, potentially Justice Hill, Gus Edwards stay on the pup, it would really be setting up nicely for Drake ahead of this week's good spot. Mostly staying away from the Falcons backfield. Don't be afraid to Sprinkle a little bit on Kyron Williams, Deontay Foreman, and Gus Edwards in deeper formats. Rondale Moore is the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast official waiver wire ad of the week. We are willing to go up to about 30, 35% fab to get Rondale. Same thing with Romeo Dobbs if he does happen to still be available on those waiver wires. Teardrop, Wandale Robinson, only 6% owned right now in ESPN leagues. He does have more season-long upside over guys like Zay Jones, Alec Pierce, Jahan Dotson, and Corey Davis. Just thanks to the fact that the Giants offense really still doesn't have an established pecking order in the passing game behind Saquon Barkley. And at tight end, Hayden Hurst, the top waiver wire addition again of this week, still only owning 51% of ESPN leagues. Also don't sleep on Greg Dolchich continuing to stay involved. And Robert Tunyon, with that said, we know these offenses do like to use multiple tight ends and it is going to stay that way. Won't see the same sort of counting numbers in weeks where they aren't forced to throw the ball as much. Hunter Henry, Daniel Bellinger, and Cade Otten, also worthwhile pickups. If you are especially needy, none of those tight ends are going to be guys that you're going to want to go overboard with on the fab. Hayden Hurst, the only one that I'd probably be willing to go even into the double digits. Sound about right, Nate? Oh, yeah, I think so. And I think it's worth mentioning we do have four really good teams on bye week. So plenty of your opponents will be trying to get some of these players, too. It's good to keep an eye on who they drop because there's a chance who they drop is better than the guys that are currently on your waiver wire. Guys, it is 1.30 p.m. on Tuesday, and I'm looking at Nate's articles he already has out. It is ridiculous. Week 7, waiver wire targets the 10 biggest reactions to NFL. Week 6, our freaking... Five to add, drop, buy low, and sell high with the waiver wire and also Nate's rest of the season fantasy football rankings. Always just a nice little, you know, tool to be able to look at. Again, reassess your priors. Make sure you're not leaning too much on what we thought, you know, between February and August and adjusting appropriately to what we have now seen through six weeks of the season. Anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend? Um, also, I have all of my recaps, so that's another, like, 15, 14 articles this past week, so I think I'm around 20 at the week so far. Okay, I'm not giving you those, Nate. I mean, okay, it's one fantastic article, but come on now. We're not going to start. I'm going to break up my running back articles team by team and just have, you know, 60 articles going out by week. All jokes aside, again, you will not find a bigger grinder in the industry than Nathan. Hey, we all love these usage stats and, you know, immediately figuring out the evolving running back wide receiver rooms throughout the league. You guys know who's getting the numbers first. It's PFF. And guess who's the one publishing them first? It is Nathan Yonke himself. And if you follow him on Twitter, you will actually be able to get to most of those not behind a paywall but if you want the good stuff you know we are going to ask for just a little bit of dollars got to pay the bills after all on pff.com for myself you can get my week six sheesh report quarterback running back wide receiver position previews got my shadow matchups that always go up on thursday mismatch manifesto and some injury goodness later in the week so with that going to wrap up another edition thank you guys for tuning in for nate i'm ian always appreciate having you guys here and until next time take care everybody <laughs>